Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, I would like to welcome Kathleen Daly, licensed clinical professional counselor and program director and art therapist at the Cancer Support Center. Kathleen, thank you very much for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. How did you become a mental health practitioner? I was always interested in helping individuals. And while I was in college, I stayed um, an open major for a couple years just to figure out really what it was that I wanted to do and how I was going to do that. I've always loved the arts. And so I then um, started a studio art major my junior year and then continued to try and figure out what I was going to do with that. And okay. my parents were a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly, this is the goofiest story, but very telling of our day and age. I Googled art plus helping people. Oh. And art therapy came up and I had never heard oh. of it. It wasn't something that was um, familiar to me in any way other than that I then found out I had been doing parts and pieces of that my entire life. And so that was a light bulb moment for me. I very quickly added in a psychology minor and then took a year off in between undergrad and graduate school and then went to um, Adler University for my counseling art therapy master's. So you said you were doing pieces and parts of this mm -hmm. all your life. What do you mean by that? So I had used art from a very young age as a way to have fun, explore, process through things. And that was always a tool for me uh, when I wasn't feeling well or needed to think through some stuff. And I had never even thought about that as being a profession that you could do. What was the journey like once you got into school? Did you like it? Did it I make sense? I loved it. I had no, I've never loved school more than once I started that program. I got straight A's for the first time in a long time. I always had okay grades, but <laughs> I was really interested in everything mm -hmm. that we were reading and mm -hmm. discussing, and it all just felt like, okay, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So what is... Um, special, I guess, about the program that I went to is that when you leave that program, you're a you are eligible to sit for your licensure as a counselor, as well as at some point when you finish your hours to become a registered art therapist. So we really were trained in both modalities, talk therapy and visual therapy. Okay. And so it can really help in a multitude of ways. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about art therapy is that the art process um, an individual engages in is very similar to the difficulties that they might be having in their day-to-day -day life. So within an art process, mm. if you have a hard time making decisions, letting go, sometimes I'll work with someone and their material usage is very rigid and that's very telling then of how they might engage day-to-day. -day. And so they might need to engage in art in a totally different way to move them through what we call the expressive therapies continuum to be able to process things in a new way. I recently read something, an article that talked about the process of letting go. And it was mm -hmm. one of those things where it was like, do these 10 things to let go. And I just, <laughs> it caught my eye and I thought, okay, let me just read another one of these things. Right. 
But one of the things that did catch my my eye, and maybe because I was ready to hear it, was it's a story. Can you let go of a story? It happened. We all have traumatic interactions with someone who might have been important in our lives, who said just that thing at the right time that was just damaging enough for you to carry that baggage into your right. adulthood. Can you just put it down? Mm-hmm. Because after all, that person's reaction is about the other person. It's not really about you. So right. the other, the next point was depersonalization. Mm-hmm. It might have felt like mom or dad meant to hurt us, but can we flip it and look at it from that other person's perspective? That's that's their baggage to right. carry. And so, do you need to keep telling yourself mm-hmm. that damaging story? Right. I'm no good because right. of. Narrative therapy is just that. Mm. It's retelling those stories and then choosing a new path, a new version. And that is so empowering. It was a part of my story for a little while because I thought I needed it to be or Mm -hmm. it was mine. And now I'm noticing, oh, no, that's not true. And now I can pick this new narrative and move forward. You mentioned rigidity earlier Mm -hmm. and how it can be reflective of the way the client is approaching their materials even. Mm -hmm. Do you find that a person like that is less willing to let go of a narrative? Sometimes. Or what they might do, and again, I'm going back to this expressive therapies continuum. Mm -hmm. It's such a great framework. And um, you might find that they are processing, but they're processing at a very cerebral level. And so they're not getting in touch so much with the emotions of what happened. They might be very factual. So what I might do is encourage them to switch materials, or I might switch the questions I'm asking or the directives that I'm giving them in a way that would kind of move them into the other ways that they could be processing. Do you find it harder then to work with a person like that where those emotions are not as accessible for them? No, because you're right. I think if a person comes in and they are perfectly fine with how they're processing things and it's working for them and they're good with it, then who am I to tell them any differently? Fair enough. And so I think that's someone probably wouldn't be coming to therapy if they felt like But we're all human beings who experience change and loss and mortality and all these things. We we are all vulnerable to these things. There may be times Mm -hmm. in your life where you need a little help Mm -hmm. because we're all human. Right. And so if a person is not used to accessing those emotions, came from a household where right. that just was not the way people express right. themselves, and mm-hmm. you take that on, and then you reach a road bump in your life where you're having a lot of trouble, right. and you do need a little help, mm-hmm. that person needs therapy too. Mm-hmm. And so say they do make it because of a person in their lives who loves them, who nudged them there. <laughs> do you find it difficult to help that person navigate something that's not in their wheelhouse, that's not a strength? I don't think difficult, I guess, is the right word that I would use. Okay. I think for that person, we would spend some time, I would spend some time getting to know them the way that they 
do process things and figuring out, is this something that this person wants to change about themselves? And that's not to say that others in their life might feel like it would be beneficial for them to change. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not to change. Maybe it's because that person can see that that their loved one is struggling mm -hmm. and needs an objective therapist. Yeah, and th and that might work for them to process through that in that very verbal, matter-of-fact way. Mm -hmm. That might work for them, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so it just depends on the individual. I think sometimes those are the clients that I tend to see the most growth, are the clients coming in because of that inability to process on an emotional level because like you said of family history or the role that they took on at some point mm -hmm. because they thought they had to and so being able to have a safe space to break down those barriers and realize oh I can be vulnerable I can show my emotions and learn these new ways to cope that I didn't know were available to me or didn't feel like I could or I felt like I was weak if I said I needed uh, help in this yes, way. Yes. I always ask folks to just give it a try. If you feel like, no, this is not working, then that's my job as a counselor to either connect you with someone else that you would feel more okay. comfortable engaging with therapeutically, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or then we might switch gears and have a more verbal therapy process. And maybe we'll come back to the art later. How did you make the leap then after you were done with your training to working with cancer survivors at the Cancer mm -hmm. Support Center? So the Cancer Support Center really found me. Hmm. I was a new graduate. I was looking around for different positions and one of my supervisors emailed me. She had um, been in contact with our the program director at the time who was looking for an art therapist in the south suburbs and it was a 10-hour-a-week position focused on children and families and a lot of the things that I was interested in at that point. And I came in and interviewed, and the rest, I guess, is history. It really grew from there. I've really been lucky to have stepped into an organization like this at the time that I did and to be able to grow as a professional within this world and to be able to help individuals impacted by cancer it's something that's near and dear to my heart. I don't think you can find anyone these days, unfortunately, that isn't touched by cancer in some no, way. And it's been a great blessing to be able to help people the way that I've been able to help people the last couple of years. How long have you been with the Cancer Almost Support Center? six years now. You know, this has always been a position where I continually am surprised that this is my career. This is what I get paid to do. And I'm so grateful that I still feel that way, and it really comes from the individuals that I work with here, that it's so rewarding and such a great impact on my life. Can you describe your role at the Cancer Support Center a little bit more specifically? Sure. So I am an art therapist here, and what that means is I provide individuals, families, uh, children, all ages with individual art therapy as well as group art therapy, and those are a little different, and we can get to that too. Okay. In addition to the art therapy, I also sometimes provide the talk therapy that I mentioned as a licensed counselor, and then in an administrative role as program director, I do a lot of the behind-the-scenes work that keeps everything running. So I uh, supervise all of our clinical and 
non-clinical staff, so our yoga instructors, all of our counselors, um, just overseeing kind of the day-to-day management of our locations and statistics and grant writing and all that stuff that allows us to be able to continue to offer our programs at no cost. Let's get into the discussion (laughs) of art therapy. What is it? So art therapy, in a nutshell, is a mental health profession. So we're regulated. We have an ethical board that we adhere to and we're um, licensed professionals. We go to, like I said, we have our master's in art therapy. And so I think in an official capacity, it's a mental health profession provided by a licensed art therapist. What makes it different from other types of mental health therapeutic modalities? You touched upon talk therapy and you said Mm -hmm. that it's used in conjunction with the arts, but what makes it special? Right. So it's really that combination of traditional psychotherapy and then the visual process. So that really, that visual process is what sets it apart from other things. And what I feel it provides, especially to our individuals who are going through cancer, is another way to process what it is that they're dealing with um, non-verbally. It's this great outlet for participants to come in and process through something where, in a way that they can see it, touch it, change it, whether that be through clay or painting uh, when we're able to pull out the things that we're experiencing inside and work with them in a very real 3D way, that sometimes makes it more tangible for anyone who's experiencing trauma like cancer can be. It allows us to tap into different parts of our brain that aren't always accessible verbally because of the way that we process through them, whether when they happened or even after. And so we're able to then bring those things to the surface, work with them and put the words to them so that then they can get filed away as they should be, as memories do. So a person who says, well, I don't learn that way, or I'm Mm -hmm. not an expressive person, Mm -hmm. I am not a visual person, I am not an artist, I don't know how to draw, does that matter? No, you don't have to know anything about art or the process or to have it look a certain way or anything like that. There's product-focused art, which is what we oftentimes see in galleries and museums (laughs) and things like that. And what art therapy is really about is process art, the process of creation, what it represents to the individual, and much less about what it might look like. The person coming in for art therapy, they are the masters and and all be all in describing what it is that image means to them and I'm very much not in the business of trying to place meaning on anyone's artwork. So it's finding out from them, what does this color mean to you? What were you thinking about when you made this image? Um, What do you notice about it? Um, What might you change? Not using it as a tool where I can kind of figure out something about a person just by looking at their artwork, but really using it as a discussion piece and figuring out what they think. How does the process usually happen? What's the session like? So it's different for everybody. And I think that's what also makes it so special. It's tailor-made. So just like playing a piano, you're kind of composing a new song for each person that walks through your door, but using all these different keys that have, you know, their own tone and tune and all that. And so it can look very different for me. How I like to start is I ask them to create a road drawing 
which is an assessment tool that our therapists use. And it's very accessible by all ages, ethnicities. Everyone's familiar with a road. And what oftentimes happens is the individual subconsciously, consciously depicts a very real representation of where their life is going in that moment. And so then we're able to use that road as a tool to jumpstart the therapeutic process and coming up with goals or just identifying why it is that they came in for therapy and then where we might be going next. Do you find that people are resistant to the idea of expressing themselves non-verbally? Sometimes. And that's, you know, each session can look different too. So I have some folks, they come in and they want to come in, make art, and we might only talk maybe the last five, 10 minutes Mm. of the session. And then I have others who we might only be literally making art for five or 10 minutes and we're using a lot more verbal communication throughout the session or while they're making art. So it really is <laughs> all kinds of variations under the sun for how that session might look. And it's important for anyone who's interested to know that it's okay to let the art therapist know how you're most comfortable um, interacting and creating. And then that's our job to make sure that we're making it as comfortable for you as possible and explaining um, the different ways that we can use art in therapy. And so you let people choose their medium, right? Whether it be markers, crayons, clay. Right. So getting back to that expressive therapies continuum, what's so cool about it is I might have someone come in and in that first session use kind of restrictive media and just to kind of see where they're at, what they're comfortable with. Or I might say, hey, here's everything under the sun and just see kind of what they gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And then I'll use that as a framework to then down the line, I might say, I might decide we're going to use this media and here's why. Um, because when you start to use more fluid media, it naturally draws out more emotive states in us. And so using paint to process a traumatic memory mm-hmm. once it feels safe to do so is very different than using colored pencils. So the art therapist will really decide very specifically and with great intention why they're using the different materials that they're using. <laughs> there was a show and in one of the scenes, one of the kids in the uh, series is very troubled because the whole family is. (laughs) So a teacher at the school called the parents in and showed the parents a definite painting that their daughter had done and said, this is troubling. And the parents were looking at her very quizzically. Why is this Mm -hmm. troubling? And she said, look, because normally when kids draw scenes, people are outside, there's sun. And your daughter never draws the sun in any Mm -hmm. of these pictures. And I just thought that was so fascinating that you could deduce that something is going on based on a nonverbal expression or lack of something. And I think, so that is oftentimes how our therapy gets depicted in the media. And what I would ask that child is, you know, I've noticed that there's no sun in your pictures. Why is that? And give that child the chance to explain why they chose to either include the son or not. Because mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. the deductions that like that teacher made based mm-hmm. on her own experiences mm-hmm. might be totally different than okay. the child. Um, okay. There is a great article that talks about a child in school creating art only using black. 
And so the teacher became very concerned, brought the parents in and said, You're, you know, your child is only using black. They must be angry and depressed and all this. They finally asked the child, why do you use black? It was his favorite color. <laughs> so we can put our own perceptions mm. and experiences onto someone else's experience very easily. And so the art therapist um, would always ask the person, why did you choose to use this color? What does this mean to you? I've noticed X, Y, or Z in this photo. Tell me more about that. And so letting that person really be their own master and let you know mm-hmm. from my experiences, mm-hmm. this is why I'm depicting these things in the way that I'm depicting them. What are some specific examples of people who have benefited from art therapy? Anyone who's experienced trauma, which again is unfortunately many individuals in our population can absolutely benefit from art therapy. There's a lot of emerging research for the benefits of dementia patients. Mm. Honestly, I really think everyone who's experiencing any sort of difficulty in their life, a clinical difficulty that's looking for a way to process through that and evolve and work through something would benefit from art therapy. Art therapists work in hospitals, schools, homes for the elderly, private practice, um, Mm -hmm. different studios, and yeah, just about everywhere. What is the research pointing to in terms of how art therapy helps people with dementia? So like I mentioned uh, with trauma, art allows us to access different parts of our brain that we're not always able to get to in a very linear, uh, verbal fashion. Mm -hmm. And so... With anyone with dementia, that's what the disease is doing is it's disrupting the different pathways that we have to access things in our brain. And so when we're able to tap into those very old parts of ourselves, because art has been around forever Mm -hmm. and it's always been a way that we've processed and shared and told stories. And so it can, um, at least in the ways that I've seen it, it can be very relaxing for anyone who's experiencing dementia. And so they might be able to just use it as a coping mechanism for the agitation that can sometimes come along with Mm -hmm. the progression of the disease. And Mm -hmm. so anytime that they're able to just feel at peace Mm -hmm. by using the creative process would be a way that art therapy would be beneficial for them. Would you characterize art as a language? Absolutely. And I think we've seen throughout history that at some points that has been the language. Mm -hmm. When we're speaking to someone, we are careful. We can be very careful with our language. Mm-hmm. We can make choices as to how to represent ourselves, choosing our words, mm-hmm. the way we want to appear to another person or fit in with a right. different crowd. Do you think we have that much control over the way we express ourselves artistically? Do you think why that, that might be a reason why it's such a powerful mm-hmm. therapeutic modality? I think art can be incredibly exposing and it can be uncomfortable That's, for yes. people. And I've absolutely had instances where I've worked with individuals and they're so surprised by what is looking at them out on the page. Mm. It's, um, can, can be disconcerting because they might've gone into it thinking like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep the cards close to my chest, not really reveal too much. And it just happens for whatever reason. And, For as much as I even know about art therapy and what I might be trying to avoid nine times out of 10, even if I'm making the art and trying to avoid it, it's still there. 
and it finds its way to the surface. And I'm a big believer that whatever image presents itself is the one that was supposed to be there that day and that it's letting us know this is something that you need to give attention to. I'll use myself as an example. So part of the training for any therapist and especially art therapists is to really dive into your own stuff Mm -hmm. because really ethically you should never ask a client to go any further than you've gone yourself because you might not know the implications of the art that you're asking them to draw or what you're asking them to verbally process. So we did a lot of art in school and we were making art about our families and families come with all sorts of their own, not necessarily baggage, but just history. Mm-hmm. And I knew I'm like, okay, we're making this picture about our family. They're definitely going to be asking about, you know, how people are positioned and why this person might look this way or why you chose to put this person here. I was like, and I'm not falling for it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I made my picture and I tried as hard as I could to kind of keep things nice. And as soon as I finished, I went, well, I'll be darned. There it is. And there on the page, I could see how the different people in my life were positioned and why and what that meant. Not that anyone, an objective third party looking at that would say, Oh, she had issues with her father when she was growing up, but I could see it. And anyone who asked me about why I might have put people in a certain spot, then I would have to reflect on that. Even in trying to avoid that, the different relationships and history that I've had with my family members still emerged. Okay, so then it gets harder then to be able to continue to keep the cards close to your chest and explain away what's happening on the page? Right. Do you find that people still try to deny. Yes. And to that, I would say I always try and meet clients where they're at and where they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so even if I might recognize something that would be of value to process through or to recognize and kind of pull out, if they're not ready to do that, then it's not the right time to do that. And so then we'll, I'll just kind of put it on the shelf for later as something that we might come back to, or I might, you know, share my perceptions of what's going on and see how they respond. I always try and like to think about me and my clients on this path together. And I reflect on, okay, are we walking on this path together? Or am I 10 yards ahead of them going, come on, let's go. Mm -hmm. And trying to force an individual to process something before they're ready. Mm -hmm. And so I do really practice truly humanistically and try to just walk with that person. Empathy. Mm-hmm. Which is difficult for so many of our clinicians that are tied down by insurance. And they might only have, you know, four to eight sessions with someone. Mm. And so then you have to be very pointed and direct about the goals of counseling. And then trying to help this person get to a place where they're able to then process these things and work through them on their own outside of therapy, which is always the goal of therapy. It's not in anyone's wish that someone be in therapy forever. That is what's so magical about the Cancer Support Center is that we don't have those limitations. And so we're truly able to be with individuals throughout their entire journey for as long as they need us. What's the difference between an individual session and a group session? Depends on the group. Uh, At the center, The individual sessions are very much um, art as psychotherapy. And so we have, like I mentioned, those individualized treatment goals. And then we're using the art process as a way to achieve whatever it is that that individual is coming into therapy for. 
And then in the groups, it's more art as therapies. Just the process of making art in and of itself can be therapeutic. And we're not necessarily always asking questions about why they might be making art the way they're making art. It might be just um, that process of coming together in a community, having, I, I always call it a nice brain break from cancer and just being with others and being able to find um, a lot of the coping skills that are intrinsic in the art making process. There is group art therapy that's specific to like a specific topic. So there could be a group for body image or um, mm. for, you know, women who have all experienced a similar traumatic situation. And so then each group session would be tailored to processing through various aspects of that experience. I see. And so I think that's where you would find more of those breakthroughs. Um, and an open-ended art therapy group, like we have Open Studio, where individuals can come in and work on whatever it is that they want. Um, it's very, it's much more open-ended. And so some folks, they want to come in and like I said, they just want to escape from their experiences with cancer, difficulties with loved ones, whatever it is that they're coming in with and kind of just check it at the door and find just peace of mind and relaxation from that art process. And they aren't interested in diving into anything for most people. Some people do find making art very stressful. And yeah. then we have a conversation about why and how we can change that or how we can make art or some other sort of creative process work for them. What are some of the reasons why a person might say, I can't do this? Invariably, everyone has this horrible story about their <laughs> elementary school um, teacher. Or, no, it's, it's, it's really? sad. Yes. Or a parent or someone important to them at some point in their life that told them this isn't good enough. This isn't how this is supposed to look. Where, where judgment was first placed on their art. Um, and that it made it a scary and very vulnerable thing to do. Something, you know, that only artists do or only if you're really good at it. And so we do a lot of in our groups too, breaking that down and really empowering the individual to express themselves in a creative modality and feel comfortable doing that. Because as a therapist, you give so much of yourself. What is your definition of what it means to be healthy? What I think of as health overall is this connection between the different aspects of my life all working together to support who it is I want to be, what it is I want to be doing in a way that leaves me feeling whole that I'm not missing pieces of myself, that my my personal light is shining as bright as it can possibly be, depending on the circumstances. Um, those really big parts of my life, those big pieces, family, friends, self-care, that all of those things are kind of working with each other. All of those needs are being met. Um, or if they're not, that I'm giving them attention in a way that would amount to them all being met in the near future. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. your light today with everybody. This was a fabulous discussion. You are very welcome. And now it's time for practical tips. Kathleen has generously and kindly offered to share her definition of what true self-care is. Self-care is defined as things we do to recharge, refuel, and relax leaving us feeling more ourselves 
and with more to give to others. These are things that should support the healthy functioning of our minds, bodies, and spirits, rather than leaving us feeling depleted. Thank you, Kathleen. And thank you, everyone, for being here. See you next time.